Welcome to Innovation Hub, I'm Kara Miller. If you're looking for a tale that weaves together microwave popcorn, the FBI, espionage, and chicken nuggets, you have found it. And right in the center of the action is a cornfield in the middle of Iowa. It's 2011 and a sheriff's deputy gets a call about something suspicious going on in this particular cornfield. So he figures, okay, it's a cornfield. So there's a best case scenario here and a worst case scenario. Um, The worst case scenario, the sheriff's deputy told me, was this man is there burying a body or has committed some extreme crime. And cornfields are kind of the site of a lot of drama. If you think of films like South by Southwest, Children of the Corn. Mara Vistendahl has written about what happened in that cornfield and what it means for politics, international relations, and the lengths we're willing to go to safeguard innovation. But back to the cornfield. So the deputy's driving to the field. He doesn't know what he's going to find. Worst case scenario, dead body. Best case, he knew that it was a Monsanto field. And, you know, Monsanto regularly sends people to check on the corn that's growing there. This was a kind of next generation hybrid corn seed that they were going to bring to market the following year, the year after. And they're immensely secretive about that process. So like even the farmer who owns the land, who contracts it out to Monsanto, doesn't know what kind of seed is growing there. The deputy would soon discover this was neither a worst-case scenario nor a best-case scenario. It was, potentially, a crime. But a crime that, instead of murder, involved corn. And a guy named Robert Moe, who would ultimately be put on trial. Like, what was he wearing when he stood in the field? Was he actually in the field, or was he driving the getaway car? There are two sides of this story, and I try to tell both of them. Vistendahl is the author, most recently, of The Scientist and the Spy, a true story of China, the FBI, and industrial espionage. The details in the case are so wild. You know, also the things that the FBI did to pursue him, the aerial surveillance, the car chases, the airport busts, all of that is yeah, it's very cinematic. It's one of the reasons I was drawn to write a book about the case. But the prison sentence itself is not that exceptional. But if prison is where this all ends up, it's worth going back for a bit to corn, a product that might seem kind of interesting. It's good on the cob. It's tasty in cornbread. That's what I think of when I think of corn. But that is missing the big picture. Corn is both everywhere and highly secretive. Like the pages of magazines, of course, many parts of our food, high fructose corn syrup, a lot of snack foods um, are coming from corn, also ethanol fuels. Corn is in lots of cosmetics. And Vistendahl says, you know, McDonald's chicken nuggets? Chicken, right? Actually, no, they're mostly corn. Big agricultural conglomerates make a tremendous amount of money creating and then selling specialty corn seeds, seeds that are carefully bred through special parental seed lines. And these seeds can be resistant to chemicals, to pests. They can be very, very useful. And there are other countries that could really use them. China, for example, which has about four times the number of people as America, and it has trouble growing enough corn to meet the demands of its population. 
Which brings us back to the question of what Robert Moe, a Chinese citizen, was doing in that cornfield near Des Moines in 2011. Vistendahl says the U.S. government would ultimately put together a case against him, and it looked something like this. So the scheme was that Robert and his colleagues, and there were you know five or six people involved at one point, according to the U.S. government, tried to smuggle out hundreds of different seed lines, take them back to China, reverse engineer the parent seed lines. Because remember, you need these two parents for each seed line. So, you know, you, you can't just like obtain the seed itself in most cases. And then they would just reverse engineer the seed lines of Monsanto and DuPont Pioneer and jumpstart their research operation. Huge amounts of money would be spent trying to understand and then prosecute those involved in this scheme. The central argument of the U.S. government is that by bringing these cases, it is protecting innovation in America. That is, it is protecting you know, what is one of the most important tenets of the American economy, which is that it's competitive, that you know, if you have a good idea or a good product, you can get a fair uh, market for it. And Vistendahl notes that Chinese companies and the Chinese government can be very aggressive in going after intellectual property, IP. But, she says, there are some holes in America's rationale for spending a fortune prosecuting IP theft. First, the companies that are being defended are frequently behemoths that may not be as in need of help as smaller firms. Second, she says... Lots of key scientists in American industry, in American universities, they are immigrants from Asian countries. And there is this feeling, and I think it's justified, that many researchers have come under suspicion unfairly as a result of this push to criminalize economic espionage. And as a result, that that could hurt you know, our prospects to attract the best and brightest from around the world. The final hole in America's rationale for going hard after intellectual property theft is that, despite the cost, there may be no deterrent effect whatsoever, which is perhaps the strangest part of the Robert Moe story. And here, in broad strokes, is that story. Moe was an immigrant with two PhDs, stuck in the grind of academia without a whole lot of money or job prospects, and that need for money was taking a toll on his family. So he gets a job through family connections with a Beijing agricultural company, though he was based in the U.S. And, Vistendahl says, he was kind of living the suburban dream in Boca Raton. Except, Mo was also getting pulled deeper and deeper into this Chinese company's attempt to understand sophisticated corn seeds. So he ended up driving through the Midwest, squatting in fields, shipping seeds back to Asia. You know, they at one point tried to smuggle corn back to China in microwave popcorn bags. Um, they <laughs> It's a good place to put corn, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. But the FBI was on the case. They were meticulous, intercepting seeds, tracking businessmen. The Midwestern seed consultant that the Chinese scientists had hired, perhaps as some kind of front, he was visited by agents. They told him... Any time he was in contact with the folks from the Chinese seed company, DBN, please let them know. They said, no, he was not a spy. They just wanted him to tell them everything. 
By the end of 2013, Robert Moe had been arrested. His detention center was next to the Trump International Golf Club in Palm Beach County. Vistendahl says Moe was a bit player here. In a national battle royale that involves espionage about everything from military secrets to, and this is true, the whitener that is used to whiten the cream in Oreo cookies. That whitener also is in paint. It's in many other substances. It's also a DuPont product, um, incidentally. Yeah. But, you know, wind turbines, pharmaceuticals, all these products that you wouldn't think of as being closely guarded by a government. There's this argument that these are, in fact, keys to our national security, that if you attack U.S. innovation and you attack the products of American companies, that you are attacking America. And there have been many people who have pushed back on that idea. I, after looking into it myself, I am fairly suspicious of that idea. And I do think that we need to separate out, you know, attempts to steal military secrets from attempts to steal corn. Um, why do you think America has gone? It sounds like you think we've gotten kind of overboard in the way that we deal with like the the sort of heavy hand with prosecuting here. Why do you think America has done that? Well, on the one hand, there is a lot of IP theft from China. There is a concerted drive by the Chinese government to acquire technology by all means possible. One of those means is IP theft, but you know one of them is acquiring companies, going overseas and buying foreign corporations. Okay. Others are compelling foreign companies to start a joint venture in China. So there are all these other ways mm-hmm. that the Chinese government has outlined that it can acquire technology. And it's... It's on a scale that is fairly unprecedented, but it's not that unusual from what countries like Japan or the United States or the UK or you know France. You go back in history, you can find country after country that has done something similar. I think what's different today is that the issue of IP theft is one that many corporations can get behind. So when you look at U.S.-China relations and some of the big issues that come up there. Um, You know, I've covered China for many years. I I lived there for eight years. And for many years, there's been this tension where U.S. corporations have been intent on making as much money as they can in China. You know, companies like Monsanto, like DuPont, um, went into China hoping to access 1.2 billion consumers and, you know, sell as many seeds, as many other products as possible. And for years, they pushed back against um, getting tough on China. And over the past decade, there has been the shift where they have realized that like they're not going to break into the Chinese market in the way that they thought they would. And so you've seen corporate America become much tougher on the question of China But for many longtime observers of this, it feels a somewhat cynical transformation. So, you know, for companies like Monsanto and DuPont, it is in their interest to have the U.S. government take on cases involving their intellectual property. Uh, You write about industrial espionage, not just, you know, being a phenomenon of the last, let's say, couple decades, 
but hundreds of years it goes back. And you talk about this idea of like Westerners stealing secrets sometimes from the Chinese. Yes. If you go way back, the technique for processing tea leaves was stolen by a Jesuit monk who then brought it back to France, I believe. And, you know, the rest is history. The silk processing technique Mm. as well. I mean, this is just something, this is not, um, and it's not that China was victimized in any exceptional way, but that, you know, that was a period where China was the site of much innovation. And so whichever country is producing the innovation in that moment, they become a target of other countries. You know, countries like Israel and France are fairly well known for stealing even from Western allies. And in the mid-90s, when the Economic Espionage Act was adopted, the big concern was France. Uh, I mean, so it seems like there's the question of, is the U.S. government just going too hard at China, which different people may come down differently on? But then I, I have an additional question, which is, is going after individual, even if you believe this is the right thing to do, if, is going after like individual bit players in this who who may not even really understand the full scope of what they're involved in, is that a deterrent to China? That's a very good question. And I think the answer is no. So so then we're spending all this money. The government's spending all this money, which I can understand. Like if, if you know, if you see industrial espionage, I, I, I can see that. But we're spending all this money and it's not a deterrent to the government that we're trying to deter? Well, to be fair, that's how the criminal justice system works okay. to some degree, right? But ideally, it should be a deterrent when you arrest somebody or put somebody in prison. And someone I talked to drew this analogy to going after an international drug cartel by arresting the street level dealers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that that is kind of the core of the strategy. And Actually, the Trump administration made IP theft by China a big issue and tried all these other tools, some of which were probably good ideas. Some involved more targeting of companies through sanctions and so forth. But the Trump administration also at the same time ramped up prosecutions of individuals uh, under something called the China Initiative. And that has continued under Biden. There are calls now for the Biden Justice Department to scrap the China initiative. You know, this is coming from uh, Asian American advocacy groups, but also coming from groups like the ACLU, like civil liberties groups. Um, There are many people who feel like this initiative has gone too far and that it's not effective at what it sets out to achieve. Well, so clearly there's two sides to this. Um, I think about the story of a car that you that you write about. Uh, General Motors introduced it in the early 2000s. It was called the Chevy Spark. Um, and then there's this Chinese company that produces something strikingly similar looking, um, not spelled C-H-E-V-Y, but spelled uh, C-H-E-R-Y. So like from afar, it's kind of hard to tell which is one and which is the other. And GM is basically like, it's so hard to go after this kind of stuff, like almost the same, one letter different, right? Right. And U.S. companies in China and other foreign companies in China had kind of willfully ignored it for years under the belief that if they just like waited it out long enough, they could break into the market. 
And now it's a much more complex landscape where you have very powerful Chinese companies. Um, you know, if you look at the tech sector, for example, several of the world's largest tech companies are based in China.、Mm. And these companies are becoming much more sophisticated. They now have IP of their own to protect.、Huh. So, in a way, you know, that will also make this issue much less urgent that these companies will have their own IP that they need to protect.、Um, it's actually not that efficient to steal IP. You know, you have to go back and steal it a few years later. It is helpful for short term profits, for short term gains, and that's why companies do it. You know, they're not thinking 10 or 20 years ahead.、Right. But there are actually scholars who question whether a country can get ahead by stealing IP alone. There are even people in the Chinese government who see that that's an, an issue. Well, then there's、um, kind of what you call the frenemies piece of this, because even though the US and China are at odds over lots of stuff, There are also two countries that are deeply connected.、Uh, undergraduates and graduates from China are you know, very important at our universities.、Uh, China holds a lot of our debt. We import a lot of their products.、Uh, they actually, obviously, import a lot of corn, which is where we started. So, what do you make both of this embrace and then、uh, the kind of stress that this sort of prosecution might put on that embrace? Well, it's very complicated. And if you look at Iowa, you know, there are many people who have tried hard to keep a strong relationship with China,、mm-hmm. probably against the better interests of some people in the state. And, you know, Terry Branstad was governor of Iowa at the time that Robert Moore was, was charged. And he made a few public statements about the case.、Uh, he then later became ambassador to China. And I did a story for The Intercept recently on how his son, Eric Branstad, got caught up in these lobbying interests in China, working with a colleague who represented Chinese companies. And so, this is it's a complex story.、Yeah. And I think often the people who become targets are Asian American immigrants to the United States.、Mm. But When you look at, well, what's the issue when it comes to human rights, when it comes to issues involving technology transfer? And the story is much broader than that. And so there's a whole group of people who essentially get scapegoated for the problems with the larger relationship. Do you think that our relationship with China、uh, is your sense on, around these issues of industrial espionage? Is it? Going to get worse before it gets better? Is it getting better? Where, where do you see things? I think the Trump administration was probably a low point、okay. um, for some aspects of the relationship. But there are many people who are hopeful that things will change under the Biden administration, you know, that, for example, the China initiative would get scrapped. I am not so sure. You know, I look at people who are in the Biden Justice Department, and many of them were in the Justice Department under Obama. And that's when this drive really started.、Okay. It was not the creation of the Trump administration, it is something that very much predated it.、Um, Robert Moore was found in that field in Des Moines in 2011 initially.、Mm. And, you know, the case played out for the years following that. 
And a final question for you, where is Robert Mole now? As far as I know, he is still in an immigration detention facility awaiting deportation to China. And of course, that's not somewhere you want to be ever in an ICE private detention facility, but especially now during the COVID outbreak. And is he slated to go back to China soon? Is that the idea? Uh, There have been a lot of delays because of the pandemic. And so, you know, eventually he will go back to China. He told me that he's not that afraid of that. You know, he said he's going to write a book when he returns. And he wants to call it Catch That Chinese Spy. Mara Vistendahl is an investigative reporter for The Intercept. She's the author of The Scientist and the Spy, A True Story of China, the FBI, and Industrial Espionage. Mara, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And a postscript here. Amidst the suspicions surrounding researchers from China or working with China, there have been some big mistakes. One such mistake was in the case of Xiaoxing Shi, a researcher wrongly accused by the FBI of committing intellectual property theft in 2015. You can find out more about his story on our site, including an essay from his daughter about living under FBI surveillance. That's at innovationhub.org. Thanks to the people who helped put together this show. Senior producer Elizabeth Ross, producer Mark Sollinger, and associate producer Sarah Leeson. We also had production help from Hannah Kiros. From PRX and GBH, I'm Kara Miller. This is Innovation Hub.